0: There's nothing God doesn't know, there's nothing God cannot do. He created the entire universe, he created life. He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the savior of the world, to die on the cross to pay the price for my sin, for your sins, for the sins of the world. And he rose from the dead because he truly is the Messiah, the God-man, Emmanuel. And the Bible says, for all that believe, that means that we believe to trust in Jesus Christ, that he's the Lord and Savior, he's the Messiah, that he died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead, and we put our faith and trust in him. The Bible says we're spiritually born again, we're children of God, we're forgiven, we're at peace with God, and we have heaven as our eternal home. Man, that's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does. That's the miracle that happens a life changed, and my life was changed. I know many of your lives were changed. That's why it's so important. We tell people the great story, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. A lot of people are cynical, and I get it. I get it. You know, what is God like? What is God like? That's a great question. You want to know what God is like? The Bible says, look at God's son, Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse 7, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. Two verses later in John fourteen nine, Jesus says, anybody that has seen me has seen the Father. You wanna know what God is like? Look at his son, Jesus Christ. What is Jesus like? That's another great question. We get to know Jesus by examining the Bible, God's word. It's the Bible, God's word that tells us what God is like and what his son, Jesus Christ is like, which is what we've been doing on this journey we've been on going through the gospel of Luke. Luke was a doctor. He was a follower of Jesus Christ. He wrote this letter, kind of like an investigative journal. In chapter one, verse two, he says, I myself have investigated everything from the beginning. And then in just two verses later, in verse four, he tells us why he wrote this book. He wrote this letter so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So Luke wrote this letter to his friend, And God's using it in millions of people's lives because it's the word of God to show us the evidence that Jesus Christ, who he claims to be, and that his claims are certain and true. Now, last week, we were in chapter three, and we saw how Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, publicly declaring that he is the son of God and that he was publicly beginning his public ministry. We looked at chapter three and verse 22, a voice from heaven As he was being baptized, a voice from heaven said, you are my son whom I love and with you I am well pleased. And as chapter three concluded and concluded with the genealogy of Jesus and the last words of that genealogy says, Jesus is the son of God. Now we're in chapter four today and we see the Holy Spirit lead Christ into the wilderness for 40 days where he's going to be tempted by Satan himself. Now, what I want you to see is the main issue at stake in this temptation is the identity of Jesus. Are you really the son of God? That's the temptation here, that's the main point here. In verse three, Satan comes to Jesus and says, if you are the son of God, and again in verse nine, Satan comes to Jesus and says, if you are the son of God. And so the present issue in this passage is the question, who is Jesus? Is he really the son of God? And Luke wrote this to show that Jesus Christ is certain and true. Well, we're going to see, we see so many things here in this chapter, in this passage of scripture. We see how Satan works. Everything that God has affirmed, Satan tries to nullify. We see that with biblical marriage. We see it with gender. We see it with life. We see it with all kinds of things today. What God has affirmed and said is good, Satan tries to distort and nullify. God called his son, I mean, Jesus, his son, And he actually produced a paternity test to prove it. That's the genealogy of Jesus. This was the Messiah and who he came through, the genealogy that was predicted hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. And Christ came through all of that. And yet Satan shows up to doubt it and dispute it. But what we also see here is Jesus perfectly interpret the word of God. And we see Jesus Jesus perfectly obey the word of God. And so Jesus survives the temptation in the wilderness, and we see that he truly is the son of God, and so we can trust him. But we also learn from Jesus on how to deal with temptations that the devil is going to confront us with. And Hebrews 4.15 says about Jesus that he was tempted in all the ways that we are, yet without sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to give in to temptation. The devil is desperately trying to stop Jesus from doing the work that his heavenly father sent him to do. Same thing is true for me and for you. The devil is desperately trying to stop you and me from doing in this church, from doing what God's called us to do. He's desperate and he'll do anything. That's where we're at. Chapter four, first, we're gonna look through the first 13 verses. So if you're able, would you please stand with me out of reverence and honor? for God's holy word. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple if you are the son of God he said throw yourself down from here for it is written he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone Jesus answered it says do not put the Lord your God to the test when the devil had finished all this tempting he left him until an opportune time you may be seated So many things here. We gotta be wise to the schemes of Satan. We gotta be wise to the lies. Now it's clear right off the bat that Jesus believed in and the Bible teaches the reality of a personal evil spirit called Satan, which is also means adversary. He's also called the devil in the Bible, which means slanderer. He calls, he's called also the accuser. The devil and his demons are angelic beings who rebelled against God and now they're behind the evil in the world. The Bible tells us Satan is powerful and smart, yet he is not all-powerful. He is not all-knowing. But man, he's called the God of this world right now, the ruler of this world. And we know his final doom is secure, but for now, he's powerful. He's a deceiving adversary of Christians. So we must not be ignorant of his schemes. Here's some some of his schemes. Satan attacks at the opportune moment. We see that there in verse 2. Think about it, Jesus goes into the wilderness right after his baptism, right after he's announced publicly that he's the son of God. He fasted and he prayed, because he said he didn't eat for 40 days. He's fasting, he's praying as he's beginning his public ministry. We see that there in verse two. And that's when Satan hits him with the temptation. At the precise moment that he's hungry, the temptation of instant gratification, pleasure, power, and Satan will bide his time, and he'll wait for you and I to be vulnerable, and then he'll move in with a subtle suggestion of evil. Another scheme we see here of Satan, he subtly mixes truth and lies in an attempt to deceive. Verse six, he said to him, I will give you all the authority, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. I mentioned earlier that in the Bible, jesus calls satan the ruler of this world paul calls satan the god of this world now the bible is clear that god has all authority and he can give authority to whoever he wants to and we see here when he says god is a god of this world that god has allowed satan to have authority over the unbelieving world you just for a season just for a time And Satan mixes up the truth of his authority with the error of saying, since I can give you anything I want, worship me. You see, mix truth and lies together. God alone is to be worshiped and served. And Satan's saying, you serve me, you give me authority, and I'll give you all this. Be on your guard against false teachers who mix some truth and lies together to deceive. We see Satan promises pleasure without the consequence of sin. He promises pleasure, but he doesn't mention there's going to be all kind of pain if you go that route. Verse 7, if you worship me, it will be all yours. Satan always shows the pleasure of sin, which are real. If it wasn't pleasure in it, we wouldn't do it. But he doesn't mention the consequence that will follow. Satan fails to mention that also if Jesus worshiped Satan like he asked him to, then he would become Satan's servant. Which means Jesus' mission to die for the sins of the world and raise from the dead would be ruined. Which is what he's trying to stop from happening. But Satan's smart. He promises pleasure without the consequence of sin. I mean, sexual immorality, the casual sex we, we promote nowadays—you know, there's all kind of consequences to that: unwanted pregnancies, disease, being used, confused emotions. I mean, drugs and alcohol—you're know, the pleasure in that. It you know, leads to addiction. Pornography leads to addiction. He he promises pleasure without the consequence of pain. Also, Satan tries to get us to meet legitimate needs or legitimate goals in illegitimate ways, in ungodly, unbiblical ways hunger was a legitimate need after 40 days he was hungry jesus deserved to be have be honor and splendor but he was trying to get jesus to put god to the test to 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 follow satan instead of God, his father. He was actually putting God to the test, trying to force, he was trying to get Jesus to force God to act in his time, in his way, not God's time, in his way. And so Jesus answered by saying, do not put, do not put God to the test. Trust him, trust him. Satan's goal in all three of these temptations was to get Jesus to act independently of his father, rather than submit to the will of his father. Which would include even going to the cross that's his ultimate game plan was to get him to not do that and so we need to be careful not only to pursue godly goals but also to use biblical means to get those goals and we are not to test God but we are to trust God we need to be wise to the lies of Satan these are some of the things that he still does today and we do that by being armed with God's strategies and we see some of the strategies here that 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 Jesus used against Satan's temptation. First, be strengthened by spending time alone with God. It says he was led, there in verse two, he's led by the Spirit out to the desert for 40 days. He just was baptized, publicly announced who he was, the Son of God, his public ministry was beginning, and he goes out in the desert to fast and to pray, to spend time with God for strength, because he knew what was coming. And we see not only here, but other times, Jesus Christ would always get away from the crowds and even his disciples, just so he could spend time alone with the Father, spend time with God's Word, and spend time in prayer talking to God. And if Jesus needed such times, how much more do we do? But be forewarned, time alone with God is extremely necessary, but time alone with God does not prevent temptation. We see that from Jesus and Satan there in the desert, but it will strengthen us to overcome it. So we need to be strengthened by spending time with God alone, being connected. We also need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 1 says Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned home from Jordan and then was led out by the Spirit in the desert. The Bible teaches that when a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are sealed with the Holy Spirit. As believers, we get all of the promised Holy Spirit the moment we believe. But while the Holy Spirit indwells a follower of Jesus Christ, believers are commanded by the word of God to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when believers are filled by the Holy Spirit, we're not, we're not getting more of the Holy Spirit because we have all the Holy Spirit we need when we, get, when we become believers in Christ. But we need to let the Holy Spirit get more of us. We need to allow his presence to fill every area of our life. And the Bible says we do that by asking for God to fill us by faith with His presence, with His Holy Spirit, and then surrender to His Spirit in every area of our life so we can experience His power, His presence, His purpose in our life. Here again, the filling of the Holy Spirit does not insulate us from temptation. We see that from Jesus there in the desert. But if you walk in the Spirit, You're gonna have the strength and the power and the wisdom not to carry out the desires of the flesh. You're gonna have the strength the power of God not to give in to the temptations. And so every day, we need to be asking God to fill us with his Holy Spirit and to surrender to his control in every area of our life. So we need to spend time with God. We need to ask God to fill us with his presence, his power, his purpose. We need to surrender our life to him and then we need to be armed with the truth of God, God's truth. And we see that in verse four, verse eight, verse 12. He always answered, it is written. This is what God says. Every time Satan attacked, Jesus answered with scripture. The Bible, the scripture, that's our sword. That's how we fight. Every time Satan attacks, attack back with scripture. And so to use scripture like that, you must know scripture. That's why it's important to study the word of God, to memorize scripture. Because when you're attacked, God will bring certain verses back to your mind to ward off the enemy's attack. So important. That's why we have so many things about Bible studies on Sunday morning. That's why we're starting Sunday nights, what we're doing tonight. You see insert on all that. So many different ways you can study the Bible. And then on Wednesday nights in our discipleship groups with men, with men and women with women, just holding each other accountable and going through the word of God together. We need to be armed with God's truth and we need to be ready for further attacks. We see that in verse 13, when the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. We have got to be prepared to be tempted, especially after a victory. I mean, Jesus was immediately baptized. God the Father said, this is my son whom I love. He starts his public ministry. He goes out in the desert to pray and fast, get closer to his father and then boom to get strengthened, and boom, Satan hits him. And Satan will come after you too at those opportune times when you're alone, when you feel like nobody cares about you, when you're mad at the church or mad at God, when you're physically drained, when you're waiting on God, you're praying for direction, but you don't, you don't know what he wants you to do next. Are you waiting? You get frustrated. He knows, Satan knows that. When you're attempting great things for God, that's when Satan is going to come after you. And notice, Satan never goes away completely. Even after he attacked Jesus, he left, but he said he's going to, he left him, what? For another moment, another opportunity to come back at him. So Jesus' victory over Satan shows us that he is truly the Son of God, that he's mighty to save all who call upon him, that we can trust him as our Savior and walk in his strength every day. And he will give us the strength to overcome temptation when it hits. And surely it's going to hit. Surely it's gonna hit. As I think about today, today's Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, I'm reminded how Satan is up to his schemes too concerning life and abortion. And he's done all this when it comes to life and abortion. He attacks at opportune moments, when a lady is uh, unprepared, unwanted pregnancy, all kind of pressure, financial pressure. He mixes truth with lies. He promises pleasure without the consequence of sin. He, He tries to get you to meet legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. I see all these lies Satan uses here when it comes to abortion and life. Today we celebrate God's gift of life. And we remember the many lives that were lost to abortion. And we commit ourselves to protecting human life at every stage of life. All life is essential and worthy of dignity and respect. The unborn, the born, the disabled, the aged. And we must build a culture of life where every person of every age is protected and valued and cherished. But we must be wise to Satan's lies about life. Jesus said in John 10, 10, that the thief, talking about Satan, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And he will do that any way he can. And he's been very effective though through his lies. And through his lies, he has influenced many along the way. Here in the United States of America, 3,000 innocent babies are killed every day. Just here in America, 3,000 every single day. That people will bind into Satan's lies. That the lie, first lie is this, that what's destroyed in an abortion is not a child, it's just a blob of tissue. That's a lie. Another lie is abortion builds on the lie that the smallest and weakest among us have less value and therefore can be discarded. That human life is a disposable item. And so many people, so many smart people have bought into that lie. Another one of Satan's lies is that abortion really is just women's health care. It's really a benefit to women. It's really your best option in unwanted pregnancy. It promises peace without the pain. It's a lie. Another lie today is that abortion is just a political issue. You know, it's become a political issue for sure. But the, but the world wants you to, Satan wants you to think it's just a political issue. It's not a moral issue. It's not an issue of justice. It's not a spiritual issue. It's just a, a political issue. That's a lie. Another lie, Satan's got so many people believe in that abortion, I don't like it, but it's not my problem. I'm past childbearing years. I'm a man, whatever. You know, I'm above that, over that. I'm, uh, it's not my problem. I'm too old for that. And so many people have bought in the Satan's lies. Some of his lies have a little mixture of truth in it, but they're lies. And so we need to be armed with God's truth. And God in his word says that we are to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. There in Proverbs 31.8. We are to speak up for justice for those who cannot speak for themselves. The Bible tells us life begins in the womb. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. For you form my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made." The truth of God's word is that God is the creator of life, Psalm 100, verse 3. The truth from God is that God has the authority over life and death, Deuteronomy 32, verse 39. The truth, Bible says, God hates the shedding of innocent blood, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 and 17. There in Matthew 18, verse 5, it says, God has a special love for children. The truth is, abortion destroys human life. Science and scripture agree that the child before birth is a human with potential, not a potential human being. Birth is not the beginning of life. It's just a change of residence from an already active person. And whatever happened to follow the science... Abortion, the truth is abortion violates the natural God-given instinct to protect the unborn. That's why there's so many consequences they don't tell you about after you have an abortion. Abortion violates the golden rule. The golden rule in Matthew 7 verse 12 says, do unto others what you'd have them do to you. It's about, people talk about it's your right, it's your body, but what about the baby's right? What about their choice? We're to have justice and speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And the baby is unquestionably innocent and helpless. Abortion is now the leading cause of death in the whole world for four years straight. Four years straight, abortion is the leading cause of death in the world. Just last year, 2023, there was 44.6 million abortions. 44.6 million abortions. The second leading cause of death in the world is communicable diseases, and there's about 12.9 million deaths there. But abortions worldwide is 44.6 million. That's 125,000 babies aborted daily. In the United States alone, 3,000 babies are aborted daily. Another lie about abortion is not my problem, not my issue, I don't like it, but it's not my issue. I'm too old. Parents, grandparents, man, you guys are critical, sometimes decisive in the attitude of your children, of your grandchildren. They respect you. They listen to you. So despite your age, people can make their voices heard in the arena of public opinion and also in the political process. As long as we possess life, we have the duty to defend life. Abortion reality, it's just the taking of a life that is absolutely helpless in what should be the safest place on the planet, a mother's womb. And abortion, I know it's become a big political issue, but we must reframe it. It can't be primarily a political issue. It's really not. It's one of morality. It's one of justice. It's a spiritual issue. Now, the truth is this. I know sometimes women find themselves in, in unplanned pregnancy, unwanted pregnancy, sometimes a crisis pregnancy, and they don't know what to do. And it seems like their only option, only solution is abortion. But we need to let them know in a loving way there's other alternatives to abortion. Get counseling. That's what our pregnancy center ladies do and men do, do counseling. The adoption's a loving option. See, being pro-life means having a holistic ministry, caring for the unborn, the vulnerable children, for the women that are hurt by abortion. We need to develop a multi-pronged strategy that demonstrates what pro-life looks like for somebody's entire life. Pro-life cannot be only just before birth, it must continue after birth. That's what I love about our pregnancy center, it's not just before birth, it's after birth, their ministry. And that's why part of our Vision 2030 that I shared with you almost exactly a year ago one of the areas was we need to build our church for life, and part of that meant we need to build a life center, a life center here in Osley County, a, a one-stop shop to save babies, to serve mothers, to support families, to support and minister to the whole life, to the unborn, to the born, to the mother, to the father, to the families. And that's why part of this life center I shared with you a year ago, we, want, we need to house it will house a new pregnancy center because our pregnancy center is just too small. Very active, a lot of ministries going on there. We need more room, we need more resources. I just saw an article this week. The title of the article was This Pregnancy Centers Are the Key to Recognizing the Moral High Ground on Abortion. And the article goes on to say how pregnancy centers are the front line of pro life activism. It's pregnancy centers that are really loving our neighbors and they quietly go about their work. And in the country here, they save millions of babies. We've saved hundreds, if not thousands of babies over the 34, five years, and helped thousands of women. That new life centers will house a new pregnancy center, also house our anti-human trafficking ministry that we've had here at our church for over two years, been partnering with One More Child. And there's a mobile task force of women, about nine, 10 women that meet here, have an office here at our church. And when they, when they become aware of women and children that are being trafficked, they get involved and they work with law enforcement and they do counseling. We gotta recognize the assault on the dignity of women in our country through domestic violence, through pornography, through sex and human trafficking. There's two million children involved in sexual trafficking in the world. Human trafficking is now the second fastest-growing criminal activity in the world, and in Central Florida, on this road right here, where tourism is coming like crazy—1.5 million visitors in Central Florida every single week—that's 60 million a year from all over the world, all over the country. It's prime real estate for human sex trafficking. So we need—we're going to we're gonna house that ministry in that building too. Our, our Life Center will also have a Christian adoption ministry in it. It will also house a Christian foster care ministry in it. Our life center will also house a single mom's ministry and a ministry to fathers because pro-life is whole life, whole life. Now I know unwanted pregnancies can be very frightening. I've talked to teenagers and young ladies who are just scared and confused and desperate. And in their search for answers, a lot of them were just fooled into some satan's lies that that's not really a life that's just health care it's not really that big deal it's legal right it's not a big deal and so satan led you to get an abortion through his lies and now that you're dealing with the fallout of that he didn't help you he kicks you when you're down even more and he loves it that you're dealing with shame and guilt the reality is, yes, your abortion was wrong. It was a taking of life, but it is not unforgivable. The good news is for anybody, no matter what you've done, is that God offers forgiveness to anybody who asks for it. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and He's just, and He will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is ready to offer forgiveness, redemption, healing and restoration and when god forgives we are forgiven when god cleans us we are clean i mean that's a great cause for celebration but you've also got to learn to forgive yourself you learn from it you grow from it but you got to leave it behind and get help to do that christian counselors these ladies that work at the Pregnancy center they're going to be back here in the foyer there's a table there if you got questions you want to sign up for the first step Abortion Recovery class, maybe you want to volunteer and help, man. please see them afterwards. You can experience complete healing and recovery, and God will heal you, and God will restore you, and God will use you now to help other people that have been in that situation. Church, we must be wise to the lies of Satan. Jesus calls the devil a liar and a murderer. Lies and murder go together. Abortion continues in this country because it's covered in lies. It's sugar-coated with denials and distortion of truth. And the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ has come to destroy the work of the devil. Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man gets to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way to God, he's the way to salvation because he is the truth, he's the son of God. And he's the truth, and he shatters the devil's lies. And he is life, means he undoes the devil's work of death. But we're in a fight, and so as Christians, as a church, we must be armed with God's strategy, be strengthened by spending time with God. That's the key to everything, getting closer to God. Christianity is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and you must spend time with him talking to him that's prayer listening to him listen to what he says from his word being filled with the spirit of God asking God to fill you and surrender your life to his power we got to be armed with the truth of God's word and we got to be ready for attacks because they're going to heat up not slow down when talking about life what about your life where's your life going to end see, it's not really a question of if you live forever. I believe you're going to live forever. The body, the Bible says it's like a shell. That's going to die. But the real you, your soul, your spirit, that's going to live for eternity somewhere. Heaven with Jesus or hell without Jesus. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, believe in him, trust in him, you'll be in heaven for eternity when you die, when your body dies. You reject Jesus. You deny him. You delay. You put it off. You ignore him. Hell's going to be your eternal home. You need to be wise to the lies of Satan. He tells you, just worry about the here and now. That's all that there is. That's a fatal miscalculation. The lies of Satan is that this, there's always going to be more time. You can get serious about him later. That's a costly procrastination. He tells you another lie. You don't need to prepare for the life to come. Just worry about this one. Man, that's a mispreparation because you need to be armed with the truth of God. Truth of God is that you and I know that there's more to life than what you see. There is a heaven. There is a hell. You are not guaranteed a tomorrow. None of us are. That's the truth. And the Bible tells us this is the time to prepare for the life to come. Life's about a relationship with God. That's made possible by believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So I wanna encourage you, choose life by choosing Jesus. Be wise about the lies. Will you pray with me? There, Father, I pray you take your word and your truths, and Father, you do what you need to do. Conviction, Father, help us to change our mind and view how we see these things. Help us to see it the way you see it. Father, I pray for healing for those who've been hurt, help them know they can truly be forgiven and set free and be cleansed and restored and how you can use them to make a difference. Father, I pray for courage that you help us to speak the truth in in a loving way to a lost and hurting generation. Help us not to be ashamed. Give us opportunities, protect us. Father, I pray for those here who are not spiritually saved, that they don't really have a clue if heaven's their eternal home. And so, Father, I pray even now they confess their sins, they repent, and they put their faith and trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Savior, the one who died on the cross for their sins, the one who rose from the dead, and that they want to follow him the rest of their life. Father, this is your moment, your time. You do what you need to do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Will you stand with me as we continue to worship? The altar is open for prayer. You feel led to come and pray. and We got a lot to pray about our church, our country, life, these pregnancy, cent- uh, work, pregnancy center workers, you come. Our life center, that's going to take a miracle, an act of God. You come and you pray. You need prayer, we'd love to pray for you. You're not sure heaven's your home, please let's talk to you. You need baptism we will set that up when we become a church member we need more workers you come this is god's invitation time for you